This is Make Yourself at Home, a podcast from BizNow where we examine how the pandemic is reshaping real estate. I'm Miriam Hall. I'm BizNow's New York reporter. In this episode, we're speaking with Bess Friedman, the CEO of brokerage Brown Harris Stevens. Bess's firm is one of a group of major brokerages that have banded together to form what they're calling the Coalition of Livable Neighbourhoods, with the view of lobbying government about certain legislation. The first thing on their agenda is the proposed so-called pied-à-terre tax, which is set to be introduced in January. That proposal would put a 10% to 13.5% tax on homes that are second residences and have a market value of $5 million. Bess speaks about the industry's objection to the legislation in a moment, but first I asked her about the outlook for residential real estate. I saw you on CNBC this summer and you were very upbeat, but since then, (laughs) of course, you know, it's been really bad news after bad news about the residential market. Um, How would you say your, your outlook is now? Like realistically, no broker babble. Like what, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no broker babble at all. Um, You know, I think we have some real challenges ahead. You know, the market has certainly in New York City, I'm talking about, has been impacted and it's slowed down. The luxury market, you know, has definitely been adjusted. And so I think coming into 2021, there's ample supply. You know, rates are really good for people who want to buy, call it an opportunity market. And I I think that it's going to be slow and steady. When this first hit, uh, initially, I didn't know what to expect. I thought, is it going to, are we going to completely drop? Is nobody going to ever do anything? It was sort of like people felt frozen, like after 9-11. And then little by little, once agents could show again, the market started to pick up. And now, I mean, this is not broker babble. I promise you, if you look at the Ocean Report, we are seeing, you know, the over $4 million market contract signed at pre-pandemic levels. Um, and the numbers look really good. I mean, those are facts. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm not unrealistic. I know that the market um, should be okay. It, I don't expect it to be craziness and, and you know, um, out of control. It is a buyer's market and it is a price correction market. I get that. What would you say if you had to um, put a percentage on it, what the prices are down on from last year? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a lot of people have asked me that question. And, and, and my answer is it's complicated because, you know, not all uh, properties are the same, not everything, not all square feet are, are, are created equally. But I would say if I had to just say on average, I would say about 10%. And is that pandemic related or is that because we were already seeing a slide? I believe it's a mixture of, you know, before the pandemic, it was buyer's market, prices were correcting. And I think the pandemic served as a catalyst to get sellers to, to get prices better in a better place, because then we started to see more fluidness, better pricing and people being more realistic before the pandemic. We were trying to say, look, it's a buyer's market. You have to adjust and sellers were being very stubborn. But once the pandemic hit and then a lot of the media went crazy saying, you know, New York is a ghost town. Nobody's ever going to live here. You know, I think there was a little bit of fear about that, um, even though that was not at all the case. People did leave, but they did come back. Um, and it's still too soon to say how many, how many of those people are permanent. So um, I think that, it, that made sellers get much more realistic, which was helpful to the market in general, so to supply and demand. 
Did you see a lot of deals fall apart? I mean, many many of the commercial brokers I speak to have spent much of their time over the last couple of months repairing things, getting contracts that went south back on the table. I know obviously residential is a different kind of world, but what tactics have your agents used and what are they employing to sell a city or sell owning in a city that really isn't in its best shape right now? Yeah, there were certainly a percentage of deals that fell apart. Uh, people walked, you know, and did not feel comfortable. And then sometimes the the real estate agent would get in, would get involved and try to uh, talk to the seller about adjusting the price a bit to maybe make the buyer feel more comfortable. And so we did some of those deals as well, uh, which was helpful. Was that like a renegotiation where you'd have to go back yes. to the seller and say There's plenty of those because there were, you know, um, buyers who got cold feet who said, Oh my God, the pandemic hit, everything is frozen. I'm paying X, Y, Z amount. But now with this pandemic factored in, it should really be a different number. And so, you know, they had leverage. So they would go back and say, look, the pandemic, I'm uncomfortable. I want a price adjustment. And some sellers would say, absolutely not. And that happened too. And a lot of sellers, the majority of them said, okay, I'll give you this or I'll give you that. And there was, there was adjustments made to get the deal done. And then some buyers all together just said, no, thanks. I'm out. You've just announced that you were joining with the other big brokerages to lobby Albany for the interests on Google, <laughs> <laughs> which, which really strikes me as a really unusual step. Is it unusual? I mean, has anything like that happened before? You know, I, I've never been a part of anything like that before. And because uh, we're always so busy focusing on, on business and, uh, you know, it, but it, it became, you know, what's going on politically is a, it's been a real shift in the last few years. And really all these things are happening and we're kind of just sitting there on the sidelines, just like watching it. And it was time for us to start being involved and being vocal because these are things that impact us you know these decisions that are being made without us um, and we need to be included in that discussion so it was a conversation a broader one that we had with the other some of the other firms everybody's welcome to get involved obviously about how we need to be vocal and talk about legislation that could potentially hurt us uh, hurt our business, but also hurt everyday people from construction workers to, you know, people who just want to have jobs here. Um, and I think that part of the legislation, just for example, the pied-à-terre tax, which has been, you know, something that's been floating around for a while, um, is something that, you know, doesn't take into account so many different things. It's expected to potentially bring in a hundred million dollars, according to Brad Hoyleman. That's the last that I understood of it. But according to our studies, it could potentially hurt the city by something like $300 million because a lot of people um, won't buy in New York. A lot of people will move. As we're seeing, even Goldman Sachs is now thinking because of our taxes of leaving New York City. You know, there's been a lot of flight because of the cap on the salt deduction and other things. We had the mansion tax stepped up. I mean, there's all these incredible increases and what the legislators are not taking into account is that it's impacting our city which is already in a very challenged spot i mean the mta there's so many things that need to be done i'm not in politics that's not what i do i don't know all the details i just know that these are having implications and we're seeing it people are leaving the city in record numbers and that hurts new york we need everyday people to be here, not just the, the billionaires. We want everyday people to raise families here. That's what makes our city beautiful. And the legislators are not taking that into account.
I do believe they're so busy focusing on towing, thinking they're taxing the rich. They're not understanding the impact that it's having on other people. Uh, these are people that represent us and they're supposed to work on our behalf, right? They, they should be making decisions with us, not without us. And, and we have to be vocal. Isn't that Rebney's job though? I mean, does this mean you don't trust Rebney to, <laughs> to do what it says it's meant to do, which is to be the peak lobby group for the industry? I actually, I, I totally do trust Rebney and I have incredible respect and love for Jim Whalen and the people that are there who are really working hard. I just think for us, we needed to have our own voice. Rebney's doing their own thing. I support them completely, but we needed to be our own kind of have our own voice in this uh, and not be connected to them. So they can do their part, but we're gonna do our own part. So, cause I, I do think when you have too many people involved and too many voices, it's almost like nothing gets done. And we just felt like we had to take the reins on this and, and let them do their part that, you know, everybody do, but we really wanted to have our own organization and that's why we're doing this. Did you learn much or are you taking much from the rent regulation fallout or the outcome of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that would not happen. I mean, all of us were uh, down at City Hall uh, protesting. It was incredible to see the number of real estate people that came out to speak out about that. And I think that actually was a turning point and started to wake a lot of people up who kind of were not, you know, everybody's busy. Everybody's got so much to do and you got families and you want to do to have free time. And, and when people started to see that, and when that happened, it was a wake up call, so to speak. And it inspired movement. That was also a really good catalyst to get people to pay attention. But for that, I don't actually know if we would be, have gotten this far with the coalition and so many things, because I think that kind of turned a light on for a lot of people. So this coalition is going to focus on many things, as far as I understand, but the first thing is the pied-à-terre tax, the proposed pied-à-terre tax. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's the pied-à-terre tax. It's, there's apparently a lot of legislation or talks of different legislation um, that could be harmful. So it's anything that we think um, could hurt you know, New York City, our industry, everyday people. Uh, the pied-à-terre tax is just one that's been very much out there in the spotlight. Um, it's gotten a lot, it's garnered a lot of attention. Uh, and, and remember they, the mansion tax was just increased two years ago and, um, that's had it had an impact, you know, the cap on the salt deduction has had an impact and, you know, the Pied-a-Terre tax was instituted in other places. I believe it was Toronto and that had a terrible impact on the luxury market. Um, so that's why we have to pay attention to doing things like this, because we don't want that to impact New York City that way. That would hurt everybody. It sounds perfectly logical. City needs, I mean, the taxes have to come from somewhere. Why not people that can afford not one, but two homes? Yeah, but it's, it's also, it, it, you have to remember that if you're putting a tax on people who are, who are going, who say they can buy an expensive apartment or not, and it's this incredible annual tax that they have to pay that's egregious, and I don't have the exact numbers, but it's a lot of money every year, they're, they're rich people, they're not, good, they're not going to pay it. Why would they? And it's also a deterrent for people who are buying $3 million apartments and $4 million apartments. And then guess what happens? Then developers aren't building buildings. And when they're not building buildings, guess what? Construction workers don't have jobs. I mean, it just, there's a whole, a whole thing. It's like a whole domino effect. Um, 
that impacts this. I mean, the pied-a-terre tax, it just impacts, you, it's not just, you know, the $200 million apartment. Um, it, it's, it's the $3 million apartment that somebody wants to buy. They just won't buy it. They'll decide not to. They're not going to pay egregious amounts of tax every year. They're just not going to be, you know, a, a milk like that. And so, it, and the money that it's going to raise is not what they projected. Um, there's other ways. I don't know what exactly what they are, but there's other ways um, to get money. And I don't think that this is the best way to go about it. So, um, you know, Martha Stark, who, who is so brilliant and used to work for Bloomberg, did a whole study that gets into a lot of detail about this. Um, and so we're just going to constantly be talking about it and be vocal about it. What's the strategy going to be? Because I can understand um, on the face of it, the real estate industry's point of view, you believe that it's going to damage the market. People aren't going to want to buy there and then in turn, not going to want to live here and it's going to have an overall poor effect on, on the city as a whole. So what's the strategy from there in getting pushing that message to lawmakers, considering the makeup of the Senate and the House right now, which is totally democratic controlled? I mean, this, this, this strategy is really... We want them to understand that I think that they believe that this will hurt people who have a lot of money and it will really have little damage on them and get the taxes that they want and the money and then they can fund the MTA and other things. But the truth is, is that if what we're trying to get them to understand is that it impacts everyday people, including real estate agents, including construction workers, um, everybody because, and people for jobs, I mean, people, the taxes just raised by people who are ordinary, who are here spending money, like the pied-a-terre people who come to New York City, and maybe they come a few times a year, they're not taking the subways, but they are spending a lot of money in the city on restaurants and theater and shopping. They're not going to, I mean, they're, it's a deterrent all the way around. Um, and so what we want them to, and then, you know, it impacts everything from restaurants to theater, then you have less of that. So you have to remember that this will have an impact on the whole economy in New York. And so we're trying to explain to them that it hurts the everyday person. It doesn't just hurt the guy who has so much money, it hurts the everyday person. And there's proof. I mean, we have data, there's been, we've done a lot of studies on it. I haven't, but Martha uh, Stark has done it. Greg Heim, who's our economist, has worked on this so much. And so there's information substance to support what we're arguing to them. I know in the past, people have told me that it's a, it, it comes from a soak the rich mentality, the idea of the pied-a-terre tax. Um, but I would suggest that there would be people who would say, if there's ever a time to soak the rich, it's now. How are you going to counter that quite widespread public perception? You soak the rich, meaning meaning that you mean? we need to go after the rich for this. But 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 why? It's, to me, I don't understand that. I don't. I I think that that go after the rich is you know. I think that the focus of trying to target or hurt people who have money, it, the impact. Remember that you know you have to think about intent versus impact. Their intent is to okay, these people have all this money. I'm going to go after them and just take some of, them, some of their money. That's their intent, but the impact is hurting everybody. So that's what the focus has to be. I mean, they can say, oh, we're going to hurt the rich, but they're hurting everybody. And I think that's what has to be considered because, um, the, the, listen, the, the loss 
of the pied-a-terre tax buyers means the loss of jobs that support them. Thousands of retail, hospitality, construction, I don't know, real estate broker jobs, um, all of that will have an impact. Um, and housing will become more affordable for the rich and not the average New Yorker. Um, so I think that it's just, you know, Senator Brad Hoylman, who's been a sponsor of the bill, he recently, I think he spoke with um, Business Insider and said, you know, the tax will only raise $100 million a year. Um, and there's no question if you had a terror tax would lead to a, a dramatic decline in the construction of new buildings. Um, and so um, we have looked at, and what we're saying is that this spending will cost the city and state roughly something like 400 or 450 million a year in lost tax revenue. That meaning that the Pied-a-Terre tax would lose, lose over $300 million a year. So what, again, their intent is one thing, but the impact is not, you know, what they're angling for. It would actually hurt the city. And that's what we're trying to, I mean, you should have the economists and those people can argue this and support it much better than me, but the basics of it are pretty clear. And I really, really, you know, hope that they're going to listen to us and they're going to pay attention because this matters and this impacts us. I guess my question is more, I understand your, uh, why you think it's a bad idea and I'm not saying it is or it isn't. What I'm asking is how you plan to kind of sell that concept or make that concept clear to the general public. Well, I think what we're trying to do is if the, if the general public can understand, which they would, that this would impact the city, meaning if, if again, if uh, developers aren't building buildings, if people don't have jobs, I mean, the city, will, it's part of a spiral out of control. It's a part of less people wanting to live here, less people wanting uh, to raise their, their families here, a, a less safe city. You know, it, it's just, it's, that sort of an impact would hurt everybody. I mean, people will just move away. They're not gonna stay in New York. And we've already seen some of that. Again, with the mansion tax and the cap on the SALT deduction, we have seen migration to places like Connecticut and to Florida because of those things. The rich, you can't just tax the rich and think they're gonna take it. They are not, you, they, they will, they'll say, you know what? I don't need to live in New York City. I don't need to own a home. Why am I going to waste money? They're not stupid. Just because they have tons of money doesn't mean they don't care. They're going to opt to go to different places and move elsewhere. And that's the point that needs to be understood. The rich have choices. They will not just pay it because they, they don't have to. They'll come and stay in a hotel if they have to come into the city. Why would they just be taxed ad nauseum? They're not just going to accept that. I think we really saw, as we pointed out politically in the past few years, that there's a real groundswell of support for things like pushing Amazon out of the city, for things like pushing forward with the rent reform bills, because there's a lot of really unhappy people and people who've been really unhappy for a really long time um, and really suffering because the city is unbearably expensive for a lot of people. And those campaigns have been very successful in achieving what they want to achieve. So how do you think, are you going to shift your approach at all or change things to try and get a different outcome? Because the argument would be that how the real estate industry has lobbied in the past has not worked. This is so true, which is why, Miriam, we're, you know, this is why we're, we're trying a new approach and, you know, we're, we're getting involved. I mean, I don't, 
we were ne we never got involved in the past. We just didn't. Um, and then what happened is decisions were made about us without us, right? And so then people again. Now it's a it's a new day. Um, and so I get what's going on. I understand the politics. I know uh, there's a lot of progressive um, politicians out there. Uh, a lot of people are pushing a narrative for support. And I get that, but I do believe, and I say this all the time, that in the middle, the compromise is where things happen. Um, and, and, and you can't just think that you're gonna be able to push this sort of legislation and people are just gonna sit there on their backs and take it. Um, we're not, we're gonna get, I mean, this time I can't tell you exactly um, the strategy because we're just getting started in this, but we are all getting together. We're unified, we're vocal, we're getting information uh, and we're gonna fight. We're gonna be very uh, vocal about it. So what would you say to someone who is like, oh, for God's sake, this is just the real estate industry being grumpy because they've been able to you know, push politicians around in the past and then things didn't go their way anymore? You know, I, I don't, I mean, again, real estate people, work so hard and they're not being grumpy you know we're we, we you know they're everyday people who are trying to raise families and trying to get by just like everybody else is and as you said new york is, is it can be a very expensive place to live and you know people have to be able to afford living here or they're going to opt to go other places and we don't want that to happen and so we're certainly not grumpy we just want what we think is fair and makes sense uh, for the city as a whole. I mean, I want New York City to thrive. I want you know, people to wanna live here, for people to wanna feel safe here, for, the, for people to wanna have second homes here. Um, it's gotta be the place where people want to stay and can afford. And so um, this, these sorts of things just make it more and more difficult for people to afford to stay here. And that's not good. You want to have people spending tons of money here. You want the rich to want to live here. That helps the city. They're spending their money here, you know, and that helps everything. Um, and so if, if you, you know, if we set them aside or we try to punish them, they're not going to, they're not going to live here and that will impact all of us. So, I mean, I think it's, I, I understand the other side of it. I totally get it. Um, that everybody has to pay their fair share of taxes, especially people who have a lot more. I get that. Um, but you just have to look at what you're trying to uh, achieve and the impact that it ultimately will have. I mean, just, you know, look at the data, look at the information, look at the studies. How much money do you think this will really yield and what will be the impact? And that is what has to be really be studied and looked at. And we, not me personally, but, you know, Greg Heim, Martha Stark, they studied that and looked at it and they say this is a loser. And, and they're, they, they are some people who are looking at facts and information and data. So, I mean, I think that that's something that's quite powerful. Do you guys have any alternative ideas to suggest? I mean, considering the, the position that the state and city is in. Well, <laughs> I, I wish, I mean, I don't, these are not, you know, my, I'm not, you know, I never have gotten involved in politics. I don't plan to. It's not, uh, I, I have enough, you know, I'm focusing on us as a company and the agents and that sort of thing. And I don't, if I had great solutions, I mean, I would be running for mayor of New York and be doing all sorts of other things. I mean, those are not, that's not my area of expertise. I'm sure lots of people have ideas. I'm just 
here to be vocal and collaborate and help. I, I certainly don't have all those answers. I really, I wish I did. I don't. Bess, thank you so much. Um, really appreciate you chatting and be interesting to, to kind of check in with you as, as the coalition forms and, and goes after certain pieces of legislation or whatever it is. Be very interesting to see how it goes. I appreciate that, Miriam. And thank you so much for taking the time.